Today's show comes to you thanks to Ofakind, an online shop for emerging design. For more information, visit ofakind.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, welcome to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney, and today we're coming to you live from Roberto's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You can listen to After the Jump live at our new time every Wednesday at 1 p.m. on heritageradionetwork.org or download the podcast on iTunes anytime. Today's show is a continuation of the discussion we started last week about the cost of doing business. Last week, we talked about the hidden costs and the realities of being a designer. And this week, I'm fortunate to be joined by two talented women who both run online and brick and mortar retail shops, Michelle Varian of Michelle Varian and NYC, who just walked in. And I'm so <laughs> glad you made it. I did not want to miss you. Um, so thanks for being here. And Erin um, Austin Abbott of Amelia in Oxford, Mississippi. Thanks for having me. So thanks for being here, guys. Um, on last week's show, I was talking with Claire Mazur of Of A Kind and Catherine Fortunato, who runs the business of Lizzie Fortunato Jewels. And we talked a lot about trying to explain the difficulties of independent design to people who are customers, like not understanding the hidden costs of what it takes to produce in the U.S., what it takes to produce ethically. And it was really about trying to understand the backstory of the designer's perspective. But today, I really want to talk about retail because I think everybody understands the basics of retail. People know that, oh, okay, like things get marked up twice and then that's what we know about retail. But I want to break it down so people who are designers, but also people who are customers can really understand what it's like to run an independent shop these days. Um, And both of you run very similar companies, but in very different places. So I think you might have different thoughts on those things. So I want to start with Michelle. Um, For people who aren't familiar with you yet, Michelle, tell people um, what you do and how you got started with your shop in New York. Sure. Um, my background's fashion design, and I years ago decided I wanted to start my own company. So when I did, I decided to do home accessories because it was just much more manageable. And I started off just selling um, two other stores. So I started off with a bang with Neiman Marcus and Barney's and stores like that. And then 9-11 happened, and I was like, oh, well, I'll just nobody's here, nobody's coming to the trade shows to buy anything, and I'll just um, I'll open my own store. <laughs> No big deal. <laughs> no big deal. Totally on a whim. Um, passed by a neighborhood joint that had a Ferent sign that um, had been my messenger service. And I was like, this is fate, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it was this tiny little space. And I continued making the pills in the back and selling to other stores. And for a lot of years, the business to other stores supported my store because Crosby, which is now kind of, actually, I think it was just recently named the best shopping block nation or something crazy oh wow um yeah <laughs> no big again no big deal and like no, stop <laughs> giving the realtors the memo <laughs> oh good point um and so you know it was just a sleepy little street and nobody really went there and it was a great place to start and grow my business because the overhead was by new york standards relatively low because it was more or less an alley and um and i was able to produce from there and just very slowly, in a, you know, by being self-financed, um, growing my business really slowly. And um, as the recession approached, all of a sudden, my wholesale business began to dwindle. But at the same time, my retail business really flourished. And so it, it's kind of like the whole time I've had both businesses, it's been very much synchronistic like that. When one is flourishing, the other is not. 
And I think a lot of that's an indication of New York just being its own oasis of economy and how it's affected just so differently than the rest of the country. Um, so when the rest of the country was suffering, New York was kind of like, whoo-hoo, we have money, yay. And now, while there are really affluent New Yorkers with tons of money, I feel like the middle class in New York is really struggling mm -hmm. with, as a delayed reaction, really, to the rest of the country. And um, I began really pursuing wholesale again kind of recently because I started getting calls unsolicited. And I was like, okay, sounds like the rest of America is ready to start spending money again. And um, so that's the weird switch now. And um, in the process of having opened that first store, I'm now um, in my third incarnation. I've moved twice from all within one and a half blocks from a very, very tiny little storefront to a medium-sized storefront to quite a nice-sized storefront now. I really have a score. <laughs> um, and now I'm doing that and kind of inviting other you know, events and other designers and stuff and kind of showcasing other people in a big way in addition to my own work. I really love how you showcase people and you make a really big deal of showcasing people who are local too, which I really, really love. Um, what's, what are sort of the guiding factors that shape how you decide what you're going to sell in the store that's not your own work? Um, uh, so I think that all retailers operate differently. Um, I am a very gut buyer. I only purchase what I like. And there are times when things are still selling pretty well, and I'm kind of like, I'm so over it. <laughs> and, you know, I'll kind of let it linger for a little while longer, and then I'm just like, I'm done, you know. Um, and so, but when I'm purchasing from other people, it's, I really like, um, and I'm very into good craftsmanship, and also um, good materials, really uh, seeing the hand that made what the product is, is a very appealing element. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, fresh and new, you know, which I think every store, w you know, is looking for. And we all do it in different ways. Mm -hmm. What's been the most difficult part of running a shop? How, how many years have you been running it now? Gosh, it's actually been 13 years. 13, yeah, I was saying you're coming up on 15. That's, yeah. that's a big deal. <laughs> yeah, to I know. To survive that in not, not only, like, any city, but, like, I think the toughest <laughs> city to do that in is... <laughs> Very well done. Claps all around. <laughs> so what's, what's been the most difficult thing so far? Um, well, you know, weathering the ups and downs is really challenging. Um, I think that it, it's not for everybody. Um, I am very tenacious and willful by nature. Like, I'm not, you know, abrasive necessarily, but I am very, like, I'm not knocked down easily, you know, and, and I definitely, I, I tend to have faith that it, I have faith in myself and my skills, I guess, and I, I'm very lucky to be that kind of person. So that, you know, I always just feel like, well, I'll get through this, mm -hmm. you know. I, I never really like, oh, gosh, I'm an utter failure. <laughs> well, that's good. I think that confidence has been one of the huge reasons that you've been able to survive, and not only to survive, but to thrive for so long. Um, what's been one of the best parts of running the business so far? Um, having been a fashion designer before and then having started my business just selling to stores, Having a retail location is fantastic because you actually get daily validation, mm. um, you know, and, and as a designer, that's so rare, you know, so many designers toil in their own little studios and, you know, they, even if they're selling online, they're really not interacting directly with people. 
Um, one of my most favorite things, and I hear it almost daily, is somebody walking in the door and saying, oh, my God, I want to move in here. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great feeling. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, well, let me tell you the rent. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You guys have got enough space to start taking out some Airbnb, the office space. Yeah, of yeah exactly. <laughs> not a bad idea. Well, from a very large space to a slightly smaller space, I want to talk about Aaron's shop. So Aaron, people who aren't familiar with you or with Amelia, um, tell us a little bit about your shop and how you got started. Well, um, my shop is right on the historic square in Oxford, Mississippi. Um, It's 187 square feet. So very tiny, but tiny. I also get the same reaction and I tell them there's a, you know, it's got nice tall ceilings. They can build a law. <laughs> right, right. Um, but I, uh, for years, toured with bands doing their merchandise. And when it was time to put down roots, I wanted to set up the shop that I was always looking for when I was on tour with bands. The shop where you couldn't find anything else and kind of gathered business cards from artists along the way on those years of, of my travel and now still carry some of the artists that I found, you know, way back when. <laughs> and that, I love that you're so involved with the, the artists that you're working with. Sort of, how, what's your process for finding new people? Because you, you carry some pretty, like, up-and-coming people that I haven't always even heard of before. Well, I, I think I, my process is more of just searching where, you know, like, with social media, like, finding an Instagram account mm-hmm. of an mm-hmm. artist that, you know, maybe only has 50 followers, but they're making some really awesome stuff. Tells me nobody's heard of them. Yeah. You know? Do you like, guys both do that? Are you yeah. both Michelle to use yeah. Instagram as well? You know, yeah. it's a great tool. And Pinterest is a great tool. Absolutely. I mean, social media has changed. I started before, you know, Instagram. I opened in 2009 and I don't, I guess Instagram, Instagram started shortly after that, but Pinterest wasn't started mm-hmm. yet. And so it's been a really great tool for, sourcing and and then I like to call it the rabbit hole of just you know looking at a blog that features an artist that that artist has a blog and mm-hmm. I'm just constantly and their blog role of their yeah, friends and their absolutely. artist yeah. friends yeah. and I'm constantly on the hunt and people come in all the time like where do you find this stuff it's amazing and I'm like you know just always looking is my kind of stock answer but I'm always looking. I've always wondered how social media has affected retail a bit in terms of buyers. I don't think either of you have buyers at your stores, no, right? We you are both the buyers. But do you think that social media has kind of done away with that a bit? I mean, I know neither of you have it, but you're both familiar with people who've had buyers. Because it seems like now if you have a shop, you don't need to hire somebody else to source goods for you anymore. Well, I think as a shop owner, if you're a small boutique, I think it has traditionally been the owner who is the buyer. The buyer. I mean, that's really your motivation is that you love, uh, you know, finding beautiful things. So that's not usually something you would hand off anyway. You know, large department stores, obviously, they still have buyers. Yeah. They're just looking at and Instagram. I, and I'd rather put the, you know, the, the money into bringing in more artists than paying a salary for somebody to do something I really enjoy doing. So... Mm-hmm. That's a great That's, point. We're going we're gonna to talk a lot about how yeah. that, that, the financial end of things get, yeah. gets divvied up. Um, but before we get to questions, I'm going to ask both of you. Erin, I'd love to know what's the, been the toughest part of running Amelia for you. The toughest part is I live in a college town. Um, so it fluctuates with the students um, being in town or not being in town. And with that, it you know, fortunately, it is a very literary town that brings a lot of tourists. But there are days, you know, where I don't have a single sale. And I have to rely on, you know, online sales. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that doesn't happen. But, you know, I just think about the times where it is really good. And it always seems to work out fine. It's 
never been an issue, but that's probably the toughest because you're like, okay, what if, what if people just forget about me, you know, mm-hmm. when they're not walking the streets of Oxford, Mississippi. <laughs> and you're, you're going on five years of your shop, right? It'll be five years in, in two months. It'll be five, five years. Five years. Happy almost. Fun, right? Yeah. What's that? And you feel like you're still a new store, right? I feel like I'm a new <laughs> store. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, where it's does true. the time go? Erin, <laughs> um, what's been the best thing about running it so far? Um, I would say just the interaction of, you know, being a store in Oxford, Mississippi, and here I am sitting here doing your radio show. It's been the just the connections of, you know, the community that this that running a small indie shop brings. It's the conversation that it generates, and you know, the artists that you see. And like you said, Michelle, it like goes from, you know, your your ta- we talk directly with the artists mm-hmm. that we order from. Mm-hmm. You know, and so we see exactly where the hand that piece of you know it that art touched their hands to our customers hands and we can talk about the process and you know that's just such a it's so inviting that way this is something i want to ask both of you i mean we're about to go to a break but i think this is a good time to ask this question you're both talking a lot about sort of having the hand of the artist and displaying that to people how much is it a part of retail to be able to explain that story and the process to people has that become more important recently or is that something that's always been important for you guys i think it has become more important recently i actually do think it's it's a very um, palpable reaction to the digital age Mm. you know people are all of a sudden recognizing that they don't have that as much, that tactile, you know, handmade quality to things. And so all of, and people don't know how to do it themselves anymore. So there's a real um, uh, curiosity about that. But I also think I'm really interested in that too, because I do actually know how to make a lot of things. I'm I mean, I'm not like a ceramicist, but I have sculpted things and, you know, I do illustrate a lot and I've built things and I've, you know, I do my own illustration. So, you know, there's, I I do understand the number of steps that are involved in the process and the skills necessary. And, and I, um, you know, definitely like the, just the. I kind of forgot the question. <laughs> I was so I was so engaged in your answer. <laughs> Michelle's answer is hypnotic. No, it really was. I'm sitting here just yeah. Just sort of the important, what's important or not important about explaining the story yeah. behind something. Well, I think you know just the resurgence of handmade in America and people wanting things made here and wanting to support local and just the shop local movement that's happened. Um, kickback for the homogenization. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. And people are at an age where with social media, we see what everybody's doing all the time. People want to stand out and be unique, and it gives them that chance to find something that does set them apart from, you know, the person that they might pass on the street. And, you know, it just really makes them feel like their own person. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you guys about how the people stand out in an age where they're sort of buried in new options and stuff, but we have to take a quick break and then we'll be right back with Michelle Varian and Aaron Austin Abbott.
interested in emerging design, check out Ofakind, a site that sells the pieces and tells the stories of up-and-coming makers. The site has featured over 200 designers and offers limited edition pieces that you can't find anywhere else, along with studio tours, travel guides, and even recipes from the designers. To find out more, head to ofakind.com and sign up for the site's newsletter. Hey, welcome back to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonnie, and today we're talking about the cost of doing business from a retail perspective with store owners Michelle Varian and Aaron Austin Abbott of Amelia in Oxford, Mississippi. So before the break, we were talking a lot about social media and how that's been so helpful in terms of finding new and interesting and like never before heard of people to, st- to stock in a shop. But it can be difficult for designers, especially today, to stand out when there are like thousands and thousands of pages of fascinating people on Instagram and <laughs> Pinterest um, from a retail perspective, what do you think is the best way for uh, up-and-coming artists to try to get the attention of a store owner and to stand out? Um, well, first of all, good photography is extremely important, and um, I, and I think you know some people have the skill. I've seen you know people whom I really admire and like as people who are bloggers, and I look at their photos and like really in the digital age, you can't take a decent photo, and that's just like know your strengths. Like if you need to hand off to somebody else, do it. Um, and as having real information, I think is extremely important. So, um, you know, because you have this platform, just make sure that you really have everything there so that people have the information that they need in addition to the image, Mm -hmm. um, you know, what the materials are, how it's made, you know, uh, where to get it, et cetera. But, um, but then also the internet's great for exposure. It's also great. Like, it can be overexposure mm-hmm. really quickly as well. Um, this is something that is kind of a, a new idea, like, realization for me, and I'm not sure everybody agrees with me on this. But I think that it's this. there's this kind of new phenomenon of people being sick of it before they've actually seen it. Yeah. No, <laughs> I totally agree. Yeah. Just you know, the trend in general they're sick of. Yeah, yeah. Or, or they've seen so many images of something that by the time they see it in person, they're either disappointed or they kind of they've already been there and mm-hmm. had the experience and they just don't need it anymore. Do you think that's unique to a large city store? The, no. I always wonder like I I'm so tired of terrariums and if I see another terrarium I'm going <laughs> to lose it and I feel like but in Virginia where my fa- my family lives they're still everywhere and they're selling out and I wonder like the stuff that we get sick of in a big city does that take longer to trickle down? Well, coming from a small town, I could say that it does take longer to trickle down, but I personally have already gotten sick of it mm-hmm. before it enters my store. That's a right. good point. And so, you know, I'm right there with you. Like, you know, I I just don't even, I, I edit myself before I let it get to that point because I don't, I want to continue loving the stuff I sell and don't want to, like, be so sick of it that I have to look at it on the shelves and it won't move. Mm-hmm. So. But I, I think it affects the actual experience for the shopper as well. So you may have something really wonderful, but if they've seen it too much, you you know, even though it's finally available to them, they're finally able to touch it, they're over it. Mm -hmm. So it's a weird new phenomenon. Yeah. That's fascinating. I think think digital, I mean, social media has a lot to do with that, Mm -hmm. which is both a good thing and a really bad thing. That's (laughs) true. And I agree with photography on, you know, product images. You can have something nice and if it's not, you know, displayed to my eye in a in a pleasant way <laughs> you know i can i might not look twice at it 
No, mm-hmm. that's a great point. What do you think are the biggest photography faux pas you've seen so far? Overstyling an image. If you're selling a product, you really kind of want to give it space and allow it to fit into lots of different kinds of tastes and let it speak for itself. Mm-hmm. What about you, Erin? Um, background is really important to me and cropping. And, you know, if I, it, it just, if it doesn't, if something is throwing me off in the image, then it, it, that's where my eye is drawn and it, it, it reflects on the product. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to change gears a little bit and talk about the things that I think customers may not understand about retail design because the whole sort of conversation we've been having was inspired by comments I've been seeing on the internet where people really seem to be clamoring for things like ethically made, made here in the U.S., but also with like a $10 price tag, which just really rarely ever goes together. Um, and we got the sort of the designer's perspective on what the cost of materials is, what the cost of living is, and how you factor in a wholesale price. But I'd love to hear more from both of you about how when that person hands off that good to you at the retail level, tell us about the pricing structure from there and sort of how the reasoning behind that. I think people don't understand, like it needs to be marked up again because you guys have to make a living. So can you walk us through that process? Go ahead. Well, (laughs) (laughs) well, you know, it is, um, we do have to mark it up as, I mean, that's just with anything, even the $10 items, you know, started at a very low price. Um, And, I guess the reason we have to mark it up is just that, like you said, we have to make a living, but I'm also, I'd rather pay more money for something that is quality. And I know where it came from Mm -hmm. than a piece of jewelry that's going to break. And, you know, who knows where it's, you know, whose hands have touched it. And I think you really are paying for the quality and the story and, and, and that, goes beyond, you know, just something, a trinket that you're not going to care about much. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if you're familiar or not, but um, this past winter, um, I kind of partnered with Etsy and we did um, kind of a a mentoring series and also just sort of, the idea was, um, I approached them because they were launching their beta wholesale site for their designers on Etsy, recognizing that part of in, in order to help their designers, and I, I love the fact that Etsy really is interested in helping their designers um, grow their businesses, was recognizing that they weren't necessarily going to be able to support themselves selling on Etsy alone because they're one of tens of thousands of designers. So you still their editing process is still massive if you're a shopper. You still have to troll through a mm-hmm. great deal. Um, as a retail brick and mortar or even a website, Part of the most valuable thing we bring to the table is curation. We're, we are bringing you our vision and editing from the vast universe of possibilities. And so, you know, you find platforms or, of, you know, store owners or designers whom you like, and that's where you choose to look when you want something. Um, and, but in that process, taking somebody who has an Etsy site and has been selling direct to customers, unfortunately, while that platform has been fantastic because it has allowed young emerging designers who really don't know very much to sell directly to a customer, um, it, they can only go so far that way because not enough people know who they are and most people do want to touch, you know, as soon as you get to an elevated product where it's not 5 or $10, all of a sudden, you do want to touch it. You want to have amazing photos. You want to know more about it. And um, and having it curated in a space where it becomes elevated is very important mm-hmm. as well. 
And um, that that elevated level came up in last week's show, which I think is a great point that we should just drill home every mm-hmm. week, which I think is important. Um, Catherine from Lizzie Fortunato was saying, or no, it was Erica from Claire, sorry, Claire from Of a Kind, who was saying the difficult thing is that these young designers come up, they start with really low prices, they get really popular, and then out of nowhere they have to like triple their prices because now if they want to be sold in a high end market, retailers are going to make them raise the price in order to cover their costs. And so all of a sudden they've gone from being $50 earrings to being like $250 earrings. And exactly. if they had understood the pricing structure better from the beginning, then perhaps they'd be able to not like panic their customers with this huge jump. And that's why I approached Etsy. <laughs> because I had been through the process with many Etsy designers before Etsy began beta of their wholesale platform. And, and I talked to them and I said, you know, it'd be really great if you guys, I mean, you're the platform. The designers will see what you say. So, like, what if you did an FAQ section where you gave possible scenarios of these are things to think about. If one day you think you want to sell beyond this site, these are things you should consider. And it, uh, we did um, what we called the process series, and we invited various different designers to the city um, at the store and, and showed their tools, et cetera, which was part of the, the idea that you're elevating what they're doing, you know, they're this is a process. There are many steps involved. There's a real human being behind it. It's not machine made, um, which will make the consumer appreciate it more and want to pay more for it because Etsy designers have a tendency to undersell themselves Mm -hmm. because they think if no one's buying something, it's because they're too expensive and it's their first fix. The reason they're not selling something might be because their photography isn't good enough or simply people don't know they exist. And that's a big problem. Um, and that's why retail stores are still relevant because for you, for people to know you exist, a lot of it is being in retail stores. And so there's this, this partnership and relationship that needs to be, um, sustained and there needs to be a certain kind of etiquette by the designers in order to sustain that. Like if you're going to sell to a store, you can't sell on your site for less than it's necessary for them to sell to and you can't sell to their next door neighbor because mm-hmm. if you're trying to to distinguish yourself and make your your product int- you know seem desirable and not everywhere well if somebody goes in two stores in a row and sees it there right. they're going to think it's not special mm-hmm. so you know there there are a lot of things that they just don't know and um, when we did the final thing that we did is we had a, a 17 designers Etsy designers and um, at the beginning of the meeting, um, I asked who had worked for another designer before they started their company. Oh. And out of the 17, only two had. And I was like, any kind of design, any kind of manufacturing, like, have you worked for anyone who's made something before? And only two had. That's a great point. I think that experience really comes in handy, and you can feel the lack of that sometimes, even from the press end of things. I can feel that when I can tell somebody is just kind of throwing stuff out there without really thinking it through. Um, We're almost out of time, but I want to talk about brick and mortar versus online. You both have both, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. Um, Could each of you talk about why you've chosen to have both and sort of the pros and cons of each of them? Well, I have both mainly to reach a larger audience and the fact that I am in Mississippi. It's not somewhere where I have the street traffic of New York City. Um, and and also just as a you know an extra way to to re to get the artist story out there and to reach more people of these amazing designers that maybe have never been seen like on Etsy or you know and to give them good photographs <laughs> mm-hmm. and so forth and so that's really the reason I started it just as 
an extension of my store. Mm-hmm. What about you, Michelle? Well, I found that um, while, you know, my brick and mortar, st- I had a website, but, you know, that's really evolved and become stronger as just in- online shopping has become stronger. Um, but what I have found recently is that if you have a brick and mortar, it's extremely necessary to have a decent website because most people shop from both. You know, they see it in the store. They say, oh, I'll buy it online later. Oh, I'll show it to my husband. Oh, let me see. I, you know, this would be great for my mom. I can send a link to my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's so integrated now. So even though it's two different platforms, they are so linked as far as the actual, like, really making the sale. As, and also for press, editors don't leave their offices anymore. <laughs> Some few of us leave our offices anymore. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah. they don't have to. So they can cover a lot more ground. That's a good point. Well, we're almost out of time, so I want to ask you our last quick questions. Um, off the top of your head, don't overthink any of these. <laughs> What's your favorite website right now? What's the first thing you load when you wake up in the morning? Erin? Um, well, probably Pinterest. What about you, Michelle? I read the Times and I look at Pinterest. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that juxtaposition. <laughs> what is your go-to home item right now? What's the piece you have in your house that you love the most? Well, I always love a good cutting board. Do you have any favorite cutting board brands right now? Well, Lowstein's been around for a while, but they're doing great stuff. We just brought in these wonderful cutting boards by, um, what's his name, James and Earl, I believe. I hope I haven't messed up. Chris and Earl? Chris Earl. Um, Beautiful, mixed wood with brass. It's beautiful. What about you, Erin? For home items, my house is very vintage. (laughs) So I love finding a good piece. Um, What's a brand? Oh, sorry. No. What's a brand each of you can't get enough of right now? Do you own more of one or three things from one person? Coral and Tusk. Mm. I was almost going to say the same. <laughs> Did you both go to the pop-up store this I past week? Time. I'm going to visit her after the show. <laughs> a very good one. Um, what's your favorite Instagram feed or trend? Please don't say selfies. <laughs> not Definitely <likely>. not. <laughs> I did just hear, hear about shelfies. Oh, I saw that. That could be amazing. I think yeah. I like that. Yeah. That's um, a very decor geek. Kind yeah. Of and I haven't, I haven't um, actually checked it out yet, but I look yeah. forward to that. Um, yeah. As far as a feed, I, I, I go down the rabbit hole. Yeah. I just start, you know, I, I don't have one specific one I really like to go to necessarily. Yeah. What about you, I, Michelle? I feel lucky because I know so many stylists and photographers, mm. so their feeds are, well, I, I'm almost embarrassed when I post. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm just not that good. Yeah. And then there's this wonderful, I don't even know how I found this guy, but um, his, his name is um, Mick, oh, geez. I can't, it'll come to me, but anyway, he's um, in London, in the UK, I should say, and he posts this, these photographs of his walks in the English countryside, oh, and they're stunning. That so good. And I'm like, okay. That's like, uh, <laughs> do, either, do either of you follow Benjamin Hole, who's a farmer no, in the UK? It's the most beautiful Instagram Sounds feed. Comparable. It's the same thing. It's just like beautiful rolling hillsides, yeah. sheep. Sheep. The, exactly. The, the scenery shots are the ones I think I'm most drawn to over anything. And I don't mm-hmm. always know who I'm looking at. I just love them and like them. Yeah. <laughs> so our very last question is, what's a trend, style, designer, or brand that you hope makes it big this year? What do you really want to see come into its own? 
For um, me, um, really organic ceramics. Mm. That really hand-spun, like, earthenware quality. We've been so into, like, really polished porcelain for a number of years that kind of these chunky, lumpy, you know, textured pieces are yeah. really appealing to me. And I'm I'm still really into brass jewelry. I don't know if it's it, maybe I'm just in a you know a world of my own over here, but I love it. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna, not in a world of I'm my own. I'm going to call you when that when you have, that stuff has to be cleaned. I feel like yeah. that's my problem with brass jewelry; it's always rubbing off on me. And yeah. I'm like, I am not the person who will pull out the cleaner. No, I don't clean it. it. I just love the way it it, <laughs> it goes. I love I just I'm, that I like the simplicity of it. You figured it out. Well, thank you so much for both of you for being here today. I feel like I've learned so much about the importance of really understanding the story behind something, the value of having a curator behind a shop and really understanding where something's coming from and why I should buy it and hopefully not see it in every other store that right. I've been to. Um, <laughs> for people listening, where can they find each of you online, Erin? AmeliaPresents.com. And the website is MichelleVarian.com. My Instagram and Twitter are both Michelle Varian and Michelle has one out. <laughs> well, you won't find it otherwise. <laughs> Very good point. Michelle, Aaron, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having us. And Thank thanks you. for all of you for listening. We'll see you next Wednesday. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.